Today with Catherine Ruinala. Well, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're reading here about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. We serve a living God. Hallelujah. He, he, he doesn't have a grave you can go and visit because he has been raised from the dead. He is our living Savior. Hallelujah. And he told his disciples this was going to happen, but they didn't understand it. They didn't get it because it was just such a radical idea. They had their ideas of what the Messiah would look like. They thought he would come and deliver them from all the Roman oppression. And then he's crucified, horrifically murdered on a cross. And there was so much confusion, so much devastation. Like, what's happened? We don't understand. This isn't what we thought it was going to be. And the women on the day after Shabbat, after the Sabbath, where they're not allowed to work, at the moment the next day arrives, the, the women go up to try and um, embalm the body, and the body of Jesus is not there. The stone's been rolled away. There are angels there saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen just as he said he would. And they run back to tell the disciples. And the disciples like, what? A couple of them run out. There's the grave clothes all folded up there. And there's nobody. And they can't figure it out. They're like, this is weird. What's going on? Verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? I love it. Oh, what things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and all our rulers delivered him over to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since all these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body. They came saying they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of us who were with, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. So here's these guys. They're walking a seven-mile walk to Emmaus. And they're talking to each other about Jesus. What, this, all the things. Like, what's all the things? 
this was so horrible and yet we've got these reports. What are, we don't know about this. What is this? And as they're talking about Jesus, guess who shows up? Jesus. Only they don't recognize it's him. And he comes, says, what are you talking about, guys? And they're like, wow, haven't you heard? What else is there to talk about? And he says, well, what things? As if he doesn't know. And then he says, don't you know that the Christ has to suffer to fulfill all the prophecies and that he'll rise again? And then starting with Moses, he begins to unpack the scriptures. Like what a sermon that would have been. Wow. Starting with Moses with the Passover, I imagine, and the, you know, him being the Passover lamb who was crucified on Passover as the ultimate sacrifice for sin, finishing all need for sacrifices as he himself became the spotless lamb who would set us free from sin and death. Hallelujah. And then going through the Psalms and Isaiah, I assume there'd be so many amazing scriptures. You could look, for example, in Isaiah 53. Um, scripture all the way through is testifying about the coming Messiah. From the moment that mankind was, was created in the garden, God created man and woman to walk with them and talk with them and to have relationship with them. And then sin came when they decided to believe the enemy, when they decided to trust him rather than God. And sin separated us from God. God is light. And light can have no fellowship with darkness. So we can't actually be joined to God and have sin in our lives. And we can't get sin out of our lives. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so man and woman were estranged, separated from God. So the Lord himself came as a man and gave his life to pay for the sins of the whole world. The, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, laid his life down, taking on the sin of the whole world. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And Jesus himself is explaining the scriptures to these disciples. It says here in um, Isaiah 53, verse 5, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Skipping down, he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. He came and he made a way for us to be set free from sin. Hallelujah. The glorious testimony of Scripture shows us how Jesus came, the Son of God, gave himself for us because he loved us so much that he wanted to make a way for us to be able to receive mercy and forgiveness if we would just believe in him. Verse 28, as they approached the village where they were going, he acted as though he were going farther. Oh yeah, guys, great talk. And they're like, hang on, that is the best message I've ever heard in my life. Come on, could, 
can you just not stay? Stay, come and have some dinner. He goes, oh, okay. Comes in, reclines at the couch. They bring out the food. And suddenly, he does something that is strikingly familiar. He picks up the bread and he blesses it. He breaks the bread. And suddenly they realize, it's Jesus. And then he disappears. Like, whoa, that was, he's risen. He's alive. And so they run all the way back to Jerusalem, another seven miles to tell everybody, he's alive. Hallelujah. saying, the Lord has really risen. He's appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, say while. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. Now, interestingly, As the disciples are walking along the road and talking about Jesus, guess who shows up? It's not a trick question. Guess who shows up? Jesus. Then they run back to Jerusalem. Guys, and they're talking about Jesus and they're talking among themselves. And while they're talking about all these things and there's an empty tomb and these guys reckon they've seen him. And, and while they're talking about Jesus, guess who shows up? Jesus. What you give your focus to will become your experience. God is looking for you to be very intentional to surround yourself with people who are going to talk about Jesus. This is why we need each other. You see, as we are intentional not to give all our passion and focus to all the things that the world is talking about, but instead give our focus to talking about Him, to wanting to know Him more, wanting to understand more about Him. As you begin to talk about Him, He bends low to listen. Psalm 116 says He bends low. He inclines His ear when we start to pray, when we start to talk to him, he he comes in close. That is, you will experience his presence when you start to talk to him. Or in Zechariah 3, it tells us again, he tells us that, um, and I'm going to read it to you because it's just good. Oh, excuse me, Malachi, as Tom would say, the original Italian prophet, Malachi. No, Malachi... (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. When we start talking about the Lord to each other, when we start talking to him, when we start talking about him, when we start getting in fellowship with people who are going to spur us on to look about, look at him, to seek him, to know him, 
we are going to experience greater and greater measures of his presence. We're going to encounter him. This is what happens. This is why we're not called to be on our own, just, you know, doing our little Christian thing in our TV room alone and never having fellowship with other believers. I believe the church is meant to come together. We're meant to have brothers and sisters who'll spur us on to love and good deeds, who'll encourage us to talk about the things of God and who'll talk about him and how he's moving and how he's touching their lives. Hallelujah. And what will happen as you spend time with fiery ones, you'll become on fire. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. The Proverbs say, uh, the companion of fools suffers harm. So we want to be people who surround ourselves with those that are going to spur us on to love and good deeds. Amen? Anyway, so they keep reading. Jesus shows up. Hallelujah. They go, ah, it's a ghost. And he says, I'm not a ghost. Come and touch me. You, can, you can't touch a ghost. Touch my hands. Touch my feet. Here I am. I'm right here. And while they're like, whoa, he's like, give me something to eat. And they give him some broiled fish. And he eats the fish. Why? Because ghosts can't eat food. He's like, hello, I'm real. I'm actually here. Hallelujah. He showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? We gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now he spoke to them. He said, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, that would have been an astonishing message. Hallelujah. Um, to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you. But you're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Hallelujah. Wow, he is risen. Our God is looking for us to recognize that he wants to be found by you. He, want, he, he is not hiding himself. He is inviting you to seek his face. You know, I love that as they were on the road to Emmaus, he, he acted like he was going to keep walking. As is, because... I know that he wanted to spend time with them, but he was wanting to see if they would open their hearts and pull on him. You see, God, he puts out all these invitations. He makes the stars to shine. He makes the beautiful sunrise and sunset every day. It's all designed to get your attention. All of it is a love letter to you saying, I'm here. I love you. Please talk to me. But he won't force you to do it. But when you start to recognize, I think God's trying to get my attention. When you recognize, hey, I'm hearing a lot about this God. Or you're like, mm, I wonder, is it real? Is it not real? That's an invitation from Jesus. And if you'll turn and give him your attention, if you'll begin to say, 
help. I don't understand, but I want to know you. I want to understand. He will be there and he will come and he will help you. The Bible says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But he looks to see whether you will respond to the heavenly invitation to come aside with him. And he'll do it before we're saved and he'll do it when we're saved. Every day he is inviting us into deeper and deeper encounters with him because he wants you to continually experience him and know him and grow in relationship with him. Hallelujah. And so you might feel like maybe like with me, often I'll wake up and I'll be walking around the house or something and I'll be hearing a song go through my head, random scripture song or a worship song. And I've learned to recognize their little invitations from Jesus that if I'll turn aside and just go and close the door and sing it to him, he'll come and incline his ear to me. He'll come really close and I'll start to experience his presence and he'll start to speak to me and I'll have a beautiful encounter. Or I can just go, oh yeah, that's a random song going through my head and keep going about my day. I believe the Lord's looking for us to have soft, tender hearts that become aware of, hey, something's going on here. Will you, will you come, Jesus? Will you come? Will you come and I just want a bit more. Come. And if, for those who have, more will be given if they recognize and value what they already have. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Back in Luke um, 23, we see this invitation continually happening. Jesus is always looking for an opportunity to love on you. He always is. You know, he's not waiting for an opportunity to smack you and tell you how hopeless you are and how bad you've been doing. He is waiting to love you. God's heart has been from the beginning. He created man and woman in his image so that he could have someone to love. He was looking for someone to have fellowship with, someone to have relationship with. He made you in his image because he longs to have friendship, relationship with you, to walk and talk with you in the garden. Hallelujah. And the whole message of redemption has been to make a way so that you and he could do that again. Without fear, without shame, without guilt, without anything between you. When Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple was torn in two. What that signified was that in the, in the Jewish tradition, there was a big veil separating the Holy of Holies and only certain high priests at certain times of year, if they'd done all the right sacrifices, could go in behind this curtain. They had to have bells on the bottom of their cloak just in case they died in the presence of God. They could then, and they had a rope around their ankle so they could drag them out because nobody could rush in and get them because it was so holy and anything sin, any sin would cause death. But the veil, when Jesus died and said it was finished, the veil was torn in two. The earth shook, the veil was torn, and now God says, you don't have to be afraid of approaching me anymore. When you put your faith in Jesus, 
every trace of sin, every smell of shame, everything you've done is forgiven. It's paid for. I will remember your sin no more. Now boldly you can enter the throne of grace and find mercy and help in your time of need. So all the time, the father is just looking for an opportunity to love you. The moment the prodigal son came home, the father didn't sort of have binoculars and look at him and go, yeah, no, he's a bit dirty. I have to wait. Maybe if he comes in and washes himself, I'll... While he still smelled of pigs, the father saw him from a long way off, ran toward him, wrapped his arms around him, kissed him, called for a robe and a ring and threw a party because the father's heart is exploding with love for you, longing for you to respond to his invitation. And the moment you just take a little step, Oh, I see the sunset. I, 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 feel like, I feel like maybe there's something in this Christianity thing. And the moment you take a little step, even just coming to church, the father's there going, Ah, oh, I'm here. I love you. I want your love. I want to give you my love. I want you to know I am for you. I have a plan for you. I want to give you eternal life. I want to walk with you and talk with you. I want to enjoy your company. Hallelujah. Even on the cross, it tells us here that as Jesus was being crucified, the soldiers were sneering at him. They were mocking him. Verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Can you imagine this guy's dying and he's still full of hate, full of bitterness. I mean, if you're going to get executed, you want to get executed alongside the Son of God, I reckon. <laughs> like, if that's not an invitation, I don't know what is. Uh, he is right there. Eternity is right in front of me. <laughs> and yet his heart was so hard and so angry and so cynical. He was mocking him as he was himself was dying. But the other guy seeing what was going on, answered and rebuking him, the guy that was mocking Jesus said, do you not even fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. In other words, we're all going to die here. We're all dying right now. Are you, what are you doing? Do you not fear God? Are you not aware of eternity moments away from all of us? And we indeed are suffering justly for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You know, the wages of sin is death. All of us, all of us have sinned. All of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us have sin in our lives that we've committed at some stage or another, whether it's big, little, sin is sin and it, it separates us from God. And the wages of sin is death. So Jesus died so you didn't have to have eternal death. You don't have to pay the price for your sin if you will receive the mercy of Jesus. Hallelujah. And he said, he said, indeed, we are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. <sighs> Jesus, in more pain than we could ever, we, beyond our ability to comprehend. He wasn't just physically beaten beyond recognition, whipped, beaten, nails through his hand. He was also taking on himself the sin of the whole world. Like spiritual warfare, you, you think you're experiencing spiritual warfare? Like this is nothing compared to what Jesus would have been facing in that moment. And he didn't go, okay, well, Haley, you know, tell me everything you've done wrong from the beginning and we'll, I'll see if we can um, do something. He could see his heart was, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that there's an eternity. You are the saviour. So save me, have mercy on me, take me to heaven with you. And Jesus, seeing his humility, seeing his heart, said, this day you'll be with me in paradise.